This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company's Founder Series. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Mads, it's week three of the Founder Series and we've already had such incredible feedback about all of the founder journeys. I think we are both just loving so much having these conversations. Today, we are super pumped to talk to the lovely Kate Nixon, founder of Cat the Label, the lingerie brand. This one was particularly special for me because Kate is one of my very good friends, all sisters. Yeah, it was a very nice chat, all about the lingerie, <laughs> making us feel good, feeling good. Yeah. feeling good in a sweaty room that we're recording in. <laughs> Let's jump into the chat with Kate. Welcome, Kate. So, Kate, tell us, what is your drink of choice? I'll have to start with a spicy mug. Yes. Yep. Sophie's drink of yes. choice. Oh, is it? That's so <laughs> drink of choice as yeah. well. Yeah. The perfect amount of chilli and tequila and lime. Perfect. <laughs> and there's, what more could you want? <laughs> there's a thing they do in the US. It's like a, um, a tahine on the like rim of the glass. A what? Tahine. Is that, is that a, a tahini? No, tahine. I think it's a spice. <laughs> I don't know. It was really yum when yeah, I had it. That's so good. I'll have to try that. Yeah. I'll look it I'll up li- after. I'll link you the spice. Yeah, do. <laughs> no tahini, thank you, though. <laughs> Not sure about that. Uh, favourite book and why? Favourite book is definitely um, Shoe Dog with a Nike okay. novel. If you've... Sorry, we've. I think we've interviewed three people now. Really? All three people for this series have said Shoe Dog is their favourite book. That is so funny. It's so good. It's very. I think it's very motivating to a lot of business owners or startups. It is. Specifically, but yeah, it's an unbelievable um, story. I love it. Yeah. Story of Nike, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like very early days when it was, yeah, crazy. Gosh. All the things that he did. And then, yeah, the end is really cool. It's, I won't ruin it, but he's reflecting <laughs> on everything he's done and it's just like... Yeah. Did you see the photo the other day um, when, oh, I'm going to butch this for all the basketball fans out there. Was it Michael Jordan scored his, the record (laughs) goals? No. (laughs) Who was it? LeBron. LeBron James. (laughs) Michael Jordan's the one in the last dance, isn't he? No. Yeah, he's retired like a decade ago. (laughs) When LeBron scored like the highest number of goals ever maybe and they have the footage of it and everyone's got their phones up taking photos and then there's Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, just sitting there watching. It's beautiful. So good. I didn't see it, but I'll have to look it <laughs> I'll up. I'll send it to you. That's awesome. I don't watch basketball. So I mean, no, clearly, yeah. neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a, like, Instagram or TikTok or social media account that you just really love that you would want to share with people? 
That's a good one. I've sort of, Instagram for me sort of turned into work. So it's not something I browse on unless it's like friends and family. Yeah. Um, unless it's work related. So, I mean, I probably have to say cut the labels. Instagram yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I built it from zero to what it is now. So, yeah, just because I'm yeah proud of it. And, yeah, I think we've got a lot of um, good diversity and representation on there. So, yeah. yeah. It's very aesthetically pleasing as well, your yes, Instagram. Exactly, it's yes. Nice to browse. I must admit I don't run it anymore, but, um, yeah, it's always very cohesive and stuff, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, love that. <laughs> well, before we get into your story a little bit more, can you give us a rundown of what is Cat the Label for those who are not fans like we are? <laughs> yes, of course. So Cat the Label is a lingerie and sleepwear brand that I founded back in 20... Look, I blur it between 14 and 15. Yeah. It was a, the focus was sort of on lace bralettes and styles that weren't really lined or padded or particularly with underwire. That was the very beginning. Um, and it's really invol- evolved into um, a brand that is, you know, all sorts of lingerie. We've got garter belts now. We've got slippers. We've got robes. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of your go-to online lingerie and sleepwear brand. So you noted there 2015, 2014, 2015, that was kind of the era of like, you know, Victoria's Secret and like lingerie being, I guess, at the realm of like the male gaze. Can you tell us or paint us a picture of what the market was really like at that time? Yes, definitely. So at that point I was sort of hand making garments um, and they were very dainty. And the reason for that was because I was researching a lot of vintage lingerie for um, my uni course and everything was like 1920s flapper style. So obviously no, not a lot of um, the corset vibe at that period. So I was just, yeah, loving sewing them and I was putting them on Instagram and I was getting a really good response because they just look so beautiful and dainty when they're hanging up. So it wasn't Mm. any on body shots. It was literally all on coat hangers or like flung over a doorknob or whatever it was. Um, So, yeah, it really sort of set apart beautiful, pretty lingerie purchase for yourself or, you know, for someone you love rather than lingerie intended for someone else, Um, which, you know, at that time the advertising was very hot pink, diamantes, push-up, <laughs> which, of course, there's a place for. But, um, yeah, I think we sort of stood out because we were really focused on the purchaser than anyone else. I still remember going over to America on a family holiday and, like, being so excited to go into Victoria's Secret. And it, I remember thinking that it was, like, the only place I could buy lingerie, which is so weird because, there, like, there must have been places in Australia that I could get it, but it was definitely sort of the cool, like what you wanted and yet now I look back at the things I was buying and I'm like, oh, my gosh, so embarrassing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's still quite funny going to Victoria's Secret yeah. now because it's still a little bit back. It's come a long way but, yeah, it's definitely a very different market um, from the, who I'm marketing to. I was going to say I was just recently in the US and we were walking down a strip in LA and they had Victoria's Secret and it was almost like a novelty because I, I mean, I know it's in Australia but it's mm. I haven't really seen it around a lot. And me and my sisters were laughing because we we're a part of the itty bitty titty committee, and the um, <laughs> bras, that? the the bras have so much fatty, and we were like, this is what we need. But like, it was, it was also really expensive for you know, yeah. These cra- and then they'd have studs everywhere, and like it was like heck, seriously little diamantes. I mean, no shame if that's what you like. Absolutely no shame, but it was like in your face yeah. compared to like maybe your brand, which is a little bit more, you know. Totally. Yeah. A bit more understated, yeah. Going for the sophisticated sort of 
vibe. <laughs> but yeah. we're sophisticated women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you touched on that you sort of started making the bralettes when you were at uni. So how did you sort of go from doing that at uni to actually launching or sort of making more of a business out of it? Yeah, so it all sort of snowboard. I honestly never... Um, set out to start a brand. So at uni, we were doing, um, so at uni I did fashion design um, and technology at RMIT. Great course, by the way. It was TAFE, so um, it was a very hands-on course. So a lot of it was having to do the patterns, do the sewing. um, And then when you had to do a collection, you had to do all the research behind, you know, why you're doing it. So yeah, vintage lingerie was the main driver to really getting into lingerie. I was never a big lingerie person myself, same as you. Absolutely no boobs myself. It's a committee. <laughs> yes, yeah, literally. There's lots of people part of it. <laughs> but like I sort of grew up with the, or quick, I have to get the most padded bra I could possibly find. Mm. So it was a real journey of like, yeah, a bit of self-love, which is kind of nice reflecting on it now, but I guess enhancing what you do have um, rather than trying to hide it or pretend that you have, you know, something else going on that you don't. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, sidetrack, back to uni. Um, I did it at uni... I learned a lot about pattern making, um, fabrics, all those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I was starting to make these little lace bralettes on the side. The reason I did bralettes is because it was literally just a triangle of lace. It was very straightforward, very easy. I did sewing, but I wouldn't say I was a very good sewer. I wasn't particularly neat or um, strategic in my sewing, so it was just whipped together. Um, And then, yeah, which is great for lace bralettes because super easy. And then, yeah, I would just post them on Instagram and then eventually... People would sort of reach out and message, oh, can I buy this? And so then I was like, oh, okay, cool. I better get, you know, a sticker with my name on it or something. So I actually named it um, Cat by Kate at that point because I was like, I don't know what else to call it. And then um, I got a job that was all during uni. And then I got a job after gra- graduating um, with a brand called Mr. Simple. It's a menswear brand. Yeah. It's up in Byron. So that was fun. So I moved up there, put Cat the Label on hold. Um, and focus sort of, yeah, on my career because I was like, can't possibly make a job out of this triangle bra situation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that job was in production. It was about offshore manufacture. I learned a lot about, um, you know, overseas suppliers, so China essentially, um, how to sample, how a small business operates. Um, so, yeah, for two years I was doing, like, learning the ropes basically and at the same time I had cat label on the side. So I think probably a year into that job I decided to just, go for it and I found a supplier overseas based on what I'd learned, um, sent some of my designs over for sampling. They counter sample with like way better quality than I could imagine and then they tell me the price and I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. Like the fabric I would buy in Melbourne would cost more than the entire product from China. So um, yeah, I got a really good supplier and I just went, I just took the plunge, did my first order. I think I borrowed $1,000 from mum and I put in two grand of my own savings, so $3,000 for the first sort of order, which was five styles. Um, and then I just whipped together a little website on Squarespace um, and put it online. And then I guess that the catalyst for it really growing was influencer marketing, which I didn't know I was doing at the time, but a lot of influencers would reach out to me to say, oh, can I have this? And I'd be like, oh... That's a little bit tight, but sure, I'll send it to you for free. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Um, Please pay me. I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> like someone's got to pay for this. Didn't really appreciate the value of what an influencer does for the brand at that point. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that. And then a lot of wholesale stores came from that. So 
one of my biggest ones in New Zealand is called Supret. Um, they've got like five or six stores, I think, over there now. They reached out and they're like, we want to stock the brand. And so then it was a whole thing of learning like, oh, God, what's wholesale? Like, how do I do this? Um, mm. And so a lot of Google, a lot of sort of like listening at work, like, oh, how are they wholesaling? And, um, you know, getting a few sneaky documents like, oh, this is what a order form looks like. This is all this. Um, and then, yeah, it really, it really took off from there. So going back a little bit, you said that you were working at Mr Simple and then, you know, you kind of progressed into Cat the Label or Cat by Kate at yes. the time. Yep. Was there kind of like an aha moment for you where you were like, I can do this for myself and I think this could really be something? Because I think for a lot of people wanting to potentially start a business or a side hustle, there's a lot of fear that comes with, you know, can I actually do this for myself? Like, did you have a sense of security? I actually didn't. I hate to admit that. So it was the whole time, I don't even think I realised at the time that it was quite a success. Like a lot of small businesses, I didn't really have to do anything. I'd sort of order stock, I'd have it, I'd get the online orders and then I'd run out of stock and I'd just order more. Mm. And it's sort of like built up with momentum with that. Um, And I always had this in the back of my mind, no, but I need a real job. So I always had a lot of job security full-time around doing Cat the Label. So when the time came to actually do it full time, I was, so I'd met my recent husband, Marcus, <laughs> um, up in Byron. He was a bit of a local at that point, but he had got a job in Melbourne, funnily enough. So we swapped places, basically. He moved down to Melbourne. Anyway, my two years at my job came up and I was like, surely two years is good enough for my resume. I'll get another job at some point. And I remember like, okay, Marcus, I'll come move back to Melbourne now. We can be together because we were doing long distance. It must have been 18 months. It was a long time. Wow. So, yeah, a lot. And then um, I remember saying to mum, oh, I'm going to come back to Melbourne. And she, she said to me, not without a new job though. Like, because I think they also had that old school mentality. Oh, let's, it's fun to do this on the side, but let's have a bit of security here. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I moved back home and I moved in with mum, dad and Marcus. That was an interesting period of time. I'm pretty sure Maddie was there too at that point, yeah. which was good fun. <laughs> Just for some context, oh, yeah. not oh, yeah, Maddie. 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 Sorry. Because if it ends the like Maddie was living. Like, yeah. <laughs> Different, mate. My little sister, Maddie. Um, who is my friend, who Maddie. Who is also Maddie's friend, <laughs> funnily enough. Yeah, so we all one big happy family. And then, yeah, I took over, you know, the study, my old bedroom, the downstairs, and, yeah, it sort of blew up from there. But during that whole period, it was probably a year, I got a job with a fabric store. And at that, so I was like, at least I was actually thinking about my superannuation, which is funny. Um, so I was like, as long as I have something on the side for a bit of cash, um, I can just keep doing it. And then, yeah, on the side, it was just growing. I mean, it was very slow and steady. I can't say there was like a blow up moment, but each like decision I made, like, okay, it's time to get a warehouse. It's time to get staff. It was very, very well thought out. And probably on the later side, like I definitely could have done a lot of the, the things I did earlier, but yeah, I'm very cautious when it came to um, security. I was actually chatting to Matt the other day and I was asking her about, oh, like, do you remember what it was like when Kate was sort of building it up? And she said, I remember when she came home from Byron and just <laughs> took over the whole top floor of the house and her stuff was everywhere. So it's funny that you say that. Oh, yeah. Thanks for putting up for me with me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what was the moment when you knew it was time to go full time and to leave the fabric, the fabric job? I had, oh, so I had an incident at work. It wasn't an incident, but <laughs> I'd, um, I was featured in UK Vogue um, as like an up-and-coming sort of designer wow. or brand, which is huge. Yeah, it was very exciting. And then the same day I was 
in this fabric shop cutting fabric and lovely company, lovely boss and everything, but I, they make <laughs> you wear a trainee badge. It's just a little bit, you know, condescending. Like an L, when you're like, L plate. Yeah, it was literally like trainee and it was like your name. And I was like, I've done a fashion design degree. I'm in vogue. Like, what am I doing? Um, so I think at that period... And it was a very long commute to the actual store. And I was like, nah, my time is better spent hustling away the business. Um, so, yeah, that's when I sort of took that plunge. And was a lot of, I guess, you've spoken about social media a little bit, like was a lot of that growth that you initially saw through social media, you talked about influences, I guess for people that are building businesses, social media is a massive part of growing that now. Did you have a strategy in place? How did you use social media for your benefit? There wasn't a particular strategy, but it was a lot of my time was dedicated to sourcing influencers, gifting to them, and then following up for content. Um, and then sort of using that content on your page besides, you know, them getting you more reach, more followers, all of those sorts of things. You've also got um, really high quality content on your page, which makes you, like, people trust you a lot more. So it's good for the social proof side of things. Um, so then I think, you know, you have this cool brand, people recognise you on their influence, favourite influencer pages and stuff. It's a lot easier to convert, um, yeah, people to follow you and then purchase from you. Yeah, I didn't realise, like, I always, I've always known influencer marketing is a massive thing. Like, we know that, we've spoken about it before. But I feel like if over the past couple of years I've even been... Like I've found so many more brands through influencer marketing, marketing, especially like local brands as well. Totally, yeah. Because I think like the people that you follow, you kind of align with your values a little bit and then they're kind of what they're purchasing aligns with their values and it kind of is a really cool way to find new brands and new people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just crazy the amount, you know, one follower has, even if it's two, 5,000 followers, that's essentially 5,000 qualified shoppers who've seen your product um so yeah it's just a, it was a really good I mean the landscape's changed quite a lot since eight years ago but um at the time it was like super easy as well Instagram would not penalize you so they put you in front of a lot more people and yeah it was a growing the Instagram was probably the main way I generated um revenue in the early days are you on TikTok now we're trying to trying <laughs> TikTok. So hard. I swear it's navigation oh my goodness but it's awesome because now I have a team and they're half of them a lot younger than me, which is amazing. So they're really into everything up and coming. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how to TikTok. I don't want to get in front of a TikTok. <laughs> I don't know how to TikTok. <laughs> Literally. But, um, yeah, so they're really proactive in you know, working out the trends and um, the cool influences on there and gifting it, creating the content basically, which is, yeah, exciting. How many people are in your team now? We have five full-time in-head office um, about to be six, and then we have three uh, retail casual um, assistants because we just opened a store in Cremorne, um, and they sort of really help out a lot in head office too. So that's a lot of our content is created in the store, which is really awesome. So talking about the Cremorne store, then what was the decision around opening your first kind of brick and brick and mortar? Is that the saying? Yeah, yeah. brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah. bricks <laughs> and what is mortar? <laughs> the what sticks the bricks together? Oh, like cement. Yeah. <laughs> What was the <laughs> catalyst, I guess, for opening? Oh, dear. Um, the catalyst was, so we were in, we have this little cute office in Brighton before. I had it because I had one staff member. I was close to my house. Um, it's like a really easy place to be, basically. Um, and then as COVID hit and sales really grew, it was like, oh, God, we have to expand this team because it was just a lot. So 
that office just wasn't suitable for a whole team. Anyway, so then we're like, cool, well, let's move office. And then we're like, well, if we're going to fit out a beautiful new office, we may as well look for a space where we can have at least a showroom out the front. Um, and then this opportunity came up for the current store. And, yeah, it was perfect for foot travel around Cremorne. It's a really busy area. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, it was easy. We just threw a couple extra walls into the office and we're like, let's just try retail. So, yeah, it was something long-term I would have lo- always loved to do, like a cool flagship store. But it was really circumstantial that it came about. But, um, yeah, so far so good, which is awesome. Have there been any challenges or sort of, I guess, because I imagine taking on a store, there's sort of higher costs and things like that associated. Has that been a consideration? Yes. So cost-wise, we sort of, when we took the lease, we're like, okay, well, 30% of this rent is the store. So as long as, um, you know, sales from the store cover the rent and the wages, um, we're like, that's pretty good because, you know, the, it's obviously a multi-use space. We get a lot out of it. Plus we're doing in that space, we're doing showings, we've got events, um, mm. like it's a good content area. So overall it was like it's not too risky an idea, but I got we got ram raided and robbed on Christmas <gasps> Eve. Oh, my gosh, what? I heard about this. And so now I'm learning those things like, oh, you need an alarm and all this stuff that you're like, no one's going to reverse their car into the front of my shop, but they did. So took all the stock oh. um, and that door's still not fixed. So what are we now? Mid-Feb. So that's like eight weeks of lost foot traffic, which is a bit disappointing. But you know, I'll get better insurance. I'll get better cameras and, yeah. Wow, that must have been really, like, devastating. Yeah, it was actually pretty upsetting. And just because I was already down, it was like I just finished work for the year and I was like, yes, the year's over. Mm. I'm holidays. I've gone down the peninsula. And then I literally wake up to a call at 6 a.m. like, from the cops, like, uh, your your store's been robbed. And at that point I was like, oh, God, what have they taken? Yeah. Because, the, you know, the whole office is out the back. I've got all the Macs, the laptops, the iPads, but they didn't go out there. They didn't take anything particularly expensive. So in so hindsight. they just wanted the stock? They just <laughs> took the stock. And they found the guy. Really? Oh. It, was, it was a random guy. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> look, I don't have a lot of information. <laughs> some random guy. And they're like, the cop's like, oh, come drop off what we've like C's they raided and I was like I don't think I want it back but thank you Is that as a founder like one of the hardest things you've had to deal with as in I guess it would have been hard just to hear that it's lost stock, it's lost revenue for you or have there been other things that you've found way more difficult in starting up a business? Oh way more worse things than that yeah. Just like I think the hardest thing especially early days is it's really isolating no, no one can relate to you unless you have like business friends in the same situation but again because the business was growing quite well I also didn't have anyone to relate to in that regard and be like cool this happened because you know you don't want to be too you know braggy about it yeah all. tall puppy Australians exactly. have tall puppy syndrome yeah and then it. like other people like you just you know you go out for dinner and everyone like you'd ask your friends like how's work how's this I think there was a period where no one would say how's the business because I think to a lot of people before it sort of blew up to what it is now there was the mindset, oh, it's just like a side hustle, like a side thing. Yeah. Um, so that was like a weird journey to go through. And then I think Maddie told you, my sister Maddie told you, Maddie, <laughs> that like you don't have any income for the first like five years. So, you know, you can't go out, you can't travel, your friends are doing all these fun things and you're like, oh, I can't do that. I didn't buy cl- new clothes. I think it was literally three years and I was wearing <laughs> the same worn out stuff, which sounds so dramatic, but... Um, it was just like things that you had to do because you weren't getting this huge income on the side. So, yeah, all those things, I guess at the time, I didn't think were that hard, but reflecting, I'm like, oh, God, if I was 
doing that again now, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone who is, because a lot of people who start businesses have co-founders and that's someone that they can sort of go on the journey with and share their experiences with. What advice would you have for someone who's in your situation? Did you, you know, there's lots of sort of networking groups and things like that for women in business. Would you do anything like that or did you do anything like yes, that? Yes, definitely. I loved going to those. So there was a um, Facebook page called Like-Minded Bitches Drinking Wine, <laughs> <laughs> which is Jane Lou. I need to get on that. <laughs> yeah, it's great actually. So she was a founder of um, Shopo and oh, um, she did that with um, Jen George who also has very successful businesses. But um, that was really good early days because you could just like voice a question and then like all these really amazing qualified women would respond with help. Um, so that was really good. And what else would I do? There was just like random Shopify events. I joined the Entourage, which is a um, like for entrepreneurs um, program, which was good. But at the time I probably didn't get as much out of it as I could have if I really had put a bit more work into it. Um, what else did I do? Yeah, just, just like rant. Then actually quite a few friends did start businesses a few years in. So we started. Welcome. Out. Yeah. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. Follow me. Um, <laughs> no, so we did like a few like fun dinners and just chat things. But again, it's quite a personal thing to be like, what stage or level is your business at? Like mm. how much can I relate to you? And then you're always looking for someone whose business is more established so you can learn off them. Mm. So yeah, finding those people is tricky, but you can definitely do it. Shopify does a lot of good meetup events if your website's with them and, yeah, stuff like that. So we spoke a little bit about the challenges in starting a business. Are there any moments that you can recall that were like, oh, my God, I'm so happy I started this business. This is so amazing. Yes, that definitely comes in like flows, like which is really nice. Sometimes I'll be driving and I'll be like, yeah, I've got a business. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, why did I do this? Um, but best times, oh, God, there have been a few. I think like when you land a new store is really exciting. We recently got um, David Jones, so that was a, wow. a big sort of recent one where I was like a bit of a pinch me moment. Oh, cool. Um, and then I guess with the US, um, we're sort of growing in that market, so Anytime like a wholesale order comes through, because every time something comes through, I'm like, oh, cool, like, is that it? And then you get another one, you're like, cool, so another order's come in. And um, so, yeah, that's really exciting just to keep that momentum up. And then you start to believe that, oh, this is real. It's not like a hobby anymore. So I still literally have those moments now, which is, um, yeah, funny. Was going international always the goal? Yeah, early on it was. My background, my schooling, I was raised overseas a lot. So I went to I think it was like almost five international schools, Taiwan, Malaysia, New Zealand. In doing that, I always think I had quite a global mindset that nothing is restrained just to Australia. So very early on, um, we are getting a lot of US sales. Um, we landed a big US account called Revolve, um, oh, yeah. which has been yeah, huge for the brand in awareness over in the US. So when you say you land an account, how, can you talk us through the process of how you actually do that? Because Revolve's a pretty big name. Yeah, Revolve was a funny one. That was super, pretty early. I didn't have any staff at that point. So it was a lot of cold emailing. And then like a friend had worked overseas and she managed to get me in touch with this buyer and I was getting ghosted. And basically <laughs> I just happened to be in LA and I emailed her. I was like, I'm here. And she for some reason replied and was like, come here on Monday. And I was like, oh, oh no, I'm leaving Monday, but whatever. So I'll go. So I took my full on suitcase <laughs> I look, must have looked like the baseball. Anyway, I rocked up to this very fancy, like, cool um, 
office and, yeah, I just showed her some samples. I left them with her and then that was how, yeah, we got the first order, which is really exciting. I have heard that about America, that it's quite hard when you're sort of based in Australia and emailing or trying to get in touch with people, but then as soon as you get there, it's like done. Totally different, yeah. Yeah. They love love the in-person, yeah, networking side of business. So, yeah, if you want to make an America, go over there. That's all I can say. They're all worried about being, like, scammed. They're like, I don't know if you're real. <laughs> I don't know if you're a bot. <laughs> I do get it, though. It's a different experience when you're receiving an email to meeting someone in person yeah. and actually yeah. being able to just have that conversation and, like, really engage with someone. Exactly. And it's a lot harder to ignore you if someone's yeah. like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, literally. So a lot of our community are really focused on like purchasing sustainable products and we've really noticed that the outreach when we ask about topics, it's very much about sustainability. And your website dedicates a page to sustainability and community. Can you tell us a little bit about how you incorporate sustainability or community into your products? Yes, absolutely. So um, to start with community, we our biggest fundraiser of the year is for um, breast cancer. So we, um, every year in October, because that's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we donate $50 of sales every single order that day to um, the Breast Cancer Network and to the like a pink ribbon event, which is really awesome. And that's purely because um, one of my first employees, her mum had sadly passed away from breast cancer. So it was a very um, personal thing we wanted to do together. So that, yeah, went really well. So we've done that the last few years, which is amazing. And then um, we've been working with another company called Pinchapoo, um, where we donate sort of the older stock or the leftover stock that we don't really need to sell anymore um, to women who are in shelters or they've had to flee for whatever reason. They don't have any belongings with them anymore. So... Um, that's just something I've always been very passionate about is helping women in one way or another. So I'm really glad that the brand now enables me to do that like on a much bigger scale. Um, so that's, yeah, community side, that's where our passions lie, which is, yeah, exciting. And then sustainability-wise, sustainability is always going to be a bit of a beast. Um, mm. You know, fashion is never going to be particularly sustainable, but we definitely do what we can. So, um, you know, all of the satchels, all the plastic is gone. It's all biodegradable now, um, compostable, stuff like that. And then we really focus on design and quality-wise something you're going to wear to death, um, something that's not trend-driven. You're not going to buy it and wear it once. Um, it's like a keepsake. And we hope, you know, that our customer is buying it for the long run. Um and we were, when we were on a smaller scale, we were working with a lot of um, dead stock. So I'd go to market in China, which I haven't been able to do for a while, sadly. But, um, and you just buy rolls of leftover fabric, which is usually from a larger company, and you'd produce with that. Um, we've sort of outgrown that a little bit because of the scale we are now. So yeah, our focus is probably more on the actual supply chain. Um, and we do 100% carbon offset for every single um, item shipped from our warehouse. So that goes into sustainable um, initiatives over in um, Vietnam. It's awesome. And it's, it is hard, especially when you're trying to grow a business because all of these things cost money and it's, you know, it's cheaper to not do it the sustainable way. And I think the fact that you're still able to place a lot of emphasis on that is, yeah, it's just really impressive. And it's so nice for, you know, to have local Aussie brands that are really valuing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's something that's really important and I think it's something that, you know, we don't go around saying, oh, we're the most sustainable brand because, of course, there's always room for improvement but just by, like, doing these, like, small day-to-day things like getting rid of plastic and, you know, making your swing tags recycled cardboard and things like that, 
that's just, yeah, where you can start, which is awesome. I want to go back a little bit because you touched on earlier how there was a period in time where, you know, you weren't buying any new clothes and you were really trying to save money so that you could put any everything that you had sort of into the business, in, into growing Cat the Label. Can you give us a bit more insight into what was that time like in terms of, you know, when you're not necessarily paying yourself much of a salary? I imagine you're sort of in your early to mid-20s, like you can't go out for that's a time in your life where, you know, your friends are doing lots of dinners and drinks and all of that kind of stuff. What was that like? Because I think a lot of people listening to this who are interested in founding their own business or growing their own business, it's a real sacrifice to have to make. Yeah, it um, it was a rough time. And I think about it now a bit. And even with my relationship with Marcus, he was an apprentice. So again, on absolute minimum wage. And I was trying to do this. So it was pretty a pretty tough situation on both of us. Um, luckily, we thrived and we're officially <laughs> married. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely isolating, like I mentioned before, because um, no one can relate to that really. And at the same time, I probably could have gone out and blown, you know, funds on fancy dinners and go, doing fun stuff. But I was so focused on just trying to make the brand work that it's sort of, while it was tough, it was like an easy decision um, to just yeah keep focused and just keep chipping away. I sometimes wonder, and I feel like, I mean, I don't know if this is an obvious answer, but like I sometimes wonder that I'm going to look back at, you know, the period in your mid-20s where you're working really hard. Like, will you regret it? Like, do you feel like if you let relationships slip a little bit or or do you feel like, you know, the ones that are really close or meant to be will, I guess, sort of stick around? Yeah, I think... I'd focus more on quality over quantity when it comes to my social life in general now because, you know, it's a draining thing trying to run a business. You know, you don't have nine to five. It's pretty much constant, especially when you're at the phase where you're still doing every job role yourself. So, yeah, I guess the good friends, like the close friends, are always going to stick around and they're the ones who are checking in as well, which is always really nice. And then, yeah, anyone to the side sort of slips away. But I guess that sort of happens in your 30s anyway, so it sort of probably just happened a bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> the, but no, no regrets. <laughs> yeah, literally. No, that's right. I heard a funny saying the other day. I was like, when you, fi- when you officially make it or something, there's a reason there's one passenger seat in a Lamborghini and not, and a bus has like 50. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds so bad. But anyway. oh, I love it. Yeah. I love that. So going from, you know, putting your initial $3,000 in to do your first order to now, have you taken on any investment from external people? Is it all still self-funded? Yeah, it was all fully self-funded. So I've never had a credit card, never had a loan. Yeah, the I think that was probably one of my biggest, um, like the best things early days was I really wouldn't spend money until I had enough. So um I never took a lot of risk, so everything was very slow and steady. And I, like I said, I'd only buy a new stock when the rest of the stock was gone. Um, so yeah, it was. It's always been very cash flow positive sort of business. Um, so yeah, we haven't really had the need to at this point. Yeah, I feel like that's very. Um, there's an accounting saying for that the way that you did that. It's like just in, <laughs> just in, just out or something. Oh really? Oh, so there's it's legit. It's like not something just, like, just in time. Just in time. I don't know. Yeah, point, I don't know. So I'm not like both that. studying accounting at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> As you're making the decision to start growing your headcount, was it hard to sort of let go? I guess of doing everything yourself and sort of putting the trust in other people to do their job and to do what you've hired them to do? Yes, that was actually probably one of the biggest challenges because like I was so 
I did this on my own, like, and then obviously you're only expanding your team to help you grow, you know, the company as a whole. So everyone's on the same team. So it did take a little bit of a mindset shift to be like, no, people are here to help you. People also have like their own ways of doing things. It doesn't have to be the exact way you did it. And literally, you know, people have come in now, they've set up better processes than I could have ever set up. Um, And obviously I don't have the time to be doing these things anymore. So it's really nice that I can trust and grow like such a reliable team to help support all of that. You got your TikToker. Yeah. <laughs> got my TikTok girls. <laughs> exactly. These are the things. Like I don't have time to research all these TikToks. <laughs> to be fair, I do scroll on their files. Yeah. So I'm actually the one sending them to her like, do this. <laughs> Who is your first hire? My first hire, her name was Sarah. Um, she moved on after the first two years. But um, the second hire was uh, my friend Anna. So I actually went to university with Anna. So... And then um, she, very early days for like a few, it must have been six months or so, helped with the wholesale side of the business because we're like, oh, maybe we'll grow wholesale. So she was like reaching out to accounts, just paid terrible commission. Um, And then eventually she went over to the US and like did amazing things. And she's come back, it was 18 months ago now, so she's been my right-hand woman since then. So it's, yeah, it's been awesome working together. Well, I'm sure it would have helped having a right-hand woman when you said that it was an isolating process at the beginning. So having a team yes. would be lovely, a lovely experience. It is. Post yeah, it's beginning. amazing. Exactly. And I can take holidays now. And yeah. Through, you know, <laughs> Go have a wedding. A literally. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that because I used to do like literally pick pack every order. There was like five years that I couldn't go away. Like Christmas, you can't go away because it's the busiest mm. time. So that was so good when we... um. We outsourced all the pick pack to a third party fulfillment centre. So that was another big milestone big win. for my personal life. <laughs> Kate, I feel like we could speak to you all day about your wonderful business, but we have a couple of closing questions for you. The first is kind of brand related. Um, I guess the, the purpose of lingerie is to really empower ourselves and make ourselves feel beautiful or whatever feeling you want to feel in lingerie, comfortable, whatever. From your experience in this space, how can we f- make how can we help women make how can we help women feel more confident and comfortable in our bodies i think it all comes sort of down to self love first because i think a lot of the time you know we're bringing each other down and pointing out insecurities it's something that's coming from us so i do think you know also being easier on other people and um you know a bit more accepting that everyone's different everyone's body's different um Everyone also chooses, you know, different styles of lingerie, sleepwear, whatever it is. And as a brand perspective, having a lot of product over a bigger size range and bigger, bigger um, offering, then you're making people feel included, um, you know. So there's something for everyone basically. And, yeah, I just think that's a really nice thing. I think that's a nice point that you've touched on because that is something that your website does really beautifully in terms of sort of platforming all sorts of different bodies. How much... I mean, I'm sure that was a very deliberate consideration. It's not something that's necessarily common though. Can you sort of talk us through the process or the thought behind doing that? I mean, at the start it was just, oh, this bra was only selling in like certain sizes. And I was like, well, upon reflection, we haven't promoted it to anybody else. So I think just being really yeah, strategic in who you choose to model for you um, and gift as influencers too is just a really good way to show off more bodies, more sizes, and more people are going to relate, more people are going to buy. So, yeah, if you're not doing that, 
you're probably missing out. Yeah, it's so true. I imagine especially with lingerie, like a lot, yeah. you know, a T-shirt, you can sort of imagine you see it on a model, but you, exactly. know, you know what it's going to look like on you. But I think, yeah, especially lingerie, that's so important. Yeah, then it arrives and you're like, this is not what I thought it was going to look t-shirt. like. The T-shirt? Yeah, like, you know. Oh, if like, you, you, yeah, you, the lingerie works. No. <laughs> the lingerie is perfect. <laughs> the lingerie is always perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's right. And especially because online, like, we didn't have the in-person touch point that we do now. So, um, yeah, having everything online is has to be good. Otherwise, no one's going to check out. If we imagine that we are sitting here in 10 years' time saying that this has been a really successful 10 years for Cat the Label, can you paint a picture for us? What does that look like? Oh, my goodness, 10 years. I'll be in my 40s by then. <laughs> goodness. Um, no, I would see, like, a thriving, really creative team, um, inspired women, maybe, like, 30 people. So I don't know if I could handle managing 30 staff. No. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to have 30 staff. This is going to be the revenue. This is going to be like the I'll be an office it. dog and... Actually, a few office dogs. Um, no, and then I think long term I'd love to have a really cool established um, flagship store and a, probably like more of a high street situation. Um, and then I would love to do a flagship store over in LA or somewhere in the US too, just to, cool. you know, have that footprint Amazing. over there. Yeah. Very cool to be like, sorry, guys, we've just got to jump across to the US. Exactly. I've, I've got to go for work. I've <laughs> yeah. got to check out the store. Put it right next to the Victoria's Secret model store. Literally. <laughs> we can compete with them now, I feel. <laughs> well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go, if people want to learn more about you or more about Cat the Label, where should they head? Yes, well, you could head to the website, so Cat the Label with a K, um, or Instagram underscore the label yeah that's and where we'll, all the we'll include all those links in our bio and we'll put not in our bio what am I saying in the episode <laughs> notes <laughs> and we'll include your TikTok too I'll oh, find yeah, it oh yeah do <laughs> it's actually good you should go on there no, it's actually not, good not because of me it's <laughs> of everyone else okay thanks so much thanks so much guys if you enjoyed today's episode we would love for you to pass on to a friend a colleague, a family member, a pet, listen with your pet, whoever you would like. As always, you can find us on socials at YIGC Podcast, the good old TikTok, starting starting to grow, we're doing well, or Instagram. And the Facebook group as well, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. We'll see you there. Otherwise, we will catch you next week. Bye. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 5406. 697.